it's also fear-based as well, right? Because oftentimes the managers, they don't necessarily have the resources to say, well, before you can do more, you got to learn how to do better. And then once you learn how to do better, you can do more better. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I agree. And I think the formula that I've learned for productivity is effectiveness times efficiency. So if you're being effective and you're doing all the right things, then, of course, you'll improve performance if you also increase efficiency. But if you're multiplying by zero or 0.1, you can run very fast without actually getting anywhere. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was George Brontain. George is the founder and CEO of Membrane, which is based out of Stockholm, Sweden, and is the author of a brand new book titled Stop Killing Deals. Now, you gotta love that title. It's short and to the point. And George is joining me today on Sales Enablement, episode 770, to talk about the sales behaviors, both subconscious and conscious, on the part of managers and individual sellers that, well, kill your ability to close deals. We're also going to dive into the behaviors that limit your ability to grow your sales organizations by attracting and retaining top sales talent, and as well, the behaviors that impede your ability to develop the skills of your sales team, naturally all of which contribute to killing deals. And George will also share his prescriptions for overcoming the limiting beliefs or mindsets they believe are at the root of the problem. Now, before we get to George, I want to let you know that the whole team of people who work to produce this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and a review. So thank you. Okay, let's jump into it. George Brontain, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Andy. Nice to be back. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. So uh, you're joining us from Sweden, as always? I am from Stockholm in my little man cave basement here. <laughs> but in in Stockholm, you guys are not sort of restricted or sheltering in place. I mean, you're sort of some restrictions, but not a lot, right? Yeah, it depends on who you ask. Uh, we've been working from home now, the entire company, for about four weeks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we we do uh, we do the social distancing thing, but uh, we haven't closed everything down like many other countries have. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. You know, topic of debate. You know, which is the right way to go? So yeah, uh, hard to tell. Huh? We'll see. Yeah, in, what's, in a it's year funny. Or it's so. yeah, one of the few things probably the uh, <laughs> political conservatives in America agree with Sweden on is is uh, not going into total shutdown. But anyway, we won't get into that. So, um, <laughs> so again, welcome back. Hey, just by way of background, is, is so tell us how you got your start in sales. Wow, that's always an interesting question. Where to where to start? Uh, I, I think I was selling already as a as a young kid on the block, uh, calling uh, my my friends, and everyone knew I could fix the the bikes in the area against mm-hmm. a small fee. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess professionally, my first sort of career job was uh, selling loudspeakers in, in a store where they, they mm-hmm. had sort of an Ikea approach to, to loudspeakers where you could build your own. Eesh. Yeah, so that was cool. That was sort of my, my big passion in life as, right. uh, as a teenager. So I, have, I thought that was a very You have big speakers cool at home? Well, in my man cave, yes. Okay, all right. <laughs> That's where they're allowed. <laughs> so, yeah, so from speakers and... Your first B two B job? Yeah, I went to actually selling books. You know the the for dummies series. Yeah, 
uh, yeah, I was uh, I was selling those here in, in Sweden. So I was traveling around the country, visiting computer stores and, and bookstores and, and hmm. sold them the, the concept of, of, of dummies. So that was kind of fun. And after that, I started my, my first company, which was a portal for dentists, which was a complete stupid thing to do. Uh, no market research there. I just did it because wow. I believed in the internet. This was maybe 90... Oh, two, nine, three. It was very early. That's so were you were you ten years old? Yeah, exactly. I was ten years old. <laughs> I yeah. see a picture of you. Thanks. <laughs> Maybe I need to update my profile picture. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that wasn't a very good from from a business standpoint. But of course, I learned a lot. And and after that, I founded a company called Upstream. And Upstream, in the beginning, we were doing. Basically, we were doing websites for companies, mm-hmm. and that transformed mm-hmm. into software. We sold software, and, and and the idea was basically to find sort of the golden nuggets out there that nobody knew about, uh, and take those pieces of software to Scandinavia as the the region we were representing, and then sell those through a network of resellers. And that le- led later to uh, to me starting the my current baby, which is Membrane, where That's we right. build software for salespeople. So if you look back throughout that the, sort of the arc of that career, who who taught you how to sell? What was, who was your biggest influence? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I guess um, I would have to maybe answer the, the customers. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to really, I mean, selling is, is, from my perspective at least, is about helping someone to, to get to a better place. Um, that, that they want to go to or that they might not know yet that they want to go to, but you can help them get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think selling, I mean, there was, I've not gone through any, any kind of professional sales training in my, in my career. So it was, I had, of course, colleagues. That's why you're so successful, uh, by the way. Yeah, I, did, I didn't go to any, <laughs> any trainings that taught me how to do a, a, a close. <laughs> Yeah, that's that might be true. But um, so I learned from colleagues, and I learned from especially being very curious about about the customers. Mm-hmm. I mean, what 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 do they need? What why? How can I help? Uh, how can I be creative in solving their problems? So so I think I've I've, I've been studying people a lot, um, just how people work, how people think, why people mm-hmm. make decisions. Uh, so I think that's also what intrigues me about this profession. It, it's right. so. Uh, so compelling to to find out more about the mind and how people engage. Right. So if you had to say, okay, here, this is my sales superpower. What what's your sales superpower? Yeah, I would probably say curiosity combined with business acumen. Mm-hmm. Um, so to really try to understand uh, the customer or the potential customer, and and then uh, use my business acumen to come up with solutions on how to, to help them solve that in the mm-hmm. way that, that, of course, everyone benefits from. Right. Yeah, I mean, knowing you as much as I do, um, yeah, I probably would have said similar thing. Um, good answer for you. So we're going to talk about your new book you've written called Stop Killing Deals. And <laughs> very concise title. So who'd you, who did you write the book for? Who's the intended audience? Uh, sales leaders and, and company leaders is the uh, the primary uh, reader 
uh, that mm-hmm. I wrote it for. Because the, the, the whole idea about stop killing deals is that I think there is so much, there's, there's so many mistakes being made uh, in, in selling that are a result of just making wrong assumptions about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's sort of the, the the pillar on which the book is written, and how and, and some of these are should be pretty simple to fix, um, <laughs> which is the reason for the title. Like, if you just stop doing some of the stupid things uh, we all might be doing, and many more than others, uh, that can take us very far. And, and I'm also a bit, I'm a bit irritated by the snake old oil being peddled. Mm-hmm. In my space, in particular, in the in the tech space, I mean, there is also there's always a tool to fix your problem, uh, but you can't have a tool for every problem. Uh, Wait, you're saying membrane doesn't fix every problem? <laughs> yeah, isn't that strange? Yeah, wow, that's weird. Yeah, so I'm kind of annoyed with that, and this whole I mean, AI and artificial intelligence, and everyone is using the latest buzzwords to sell something. Um, Whereas I think we just need to get sort of get our head, head straight on what we're actually trying to do. Well, I mean, one of the things that's that's very clear in the in the book is you, know, you talk about the sort of three primary self-limiting or limiting beliefs, as, as you called. And as you go through it, and you said, you know, this book is written for for managers and, and leaders and so on. Is I've I've got sort of this beef, which is that I, you know, I think that. Most sales issues that we're confronting today are really the fault of management. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet that's not a very popular thing when you look online and you see what people write on LinkedIn and all these other places. It's all about you know, salespeople's limiting beliefs. But I, th- I think it's more important we talk about management's limiting beliefs. Yeah, I, I do agree. I mean, it, it's always... Um isn't it always the leadership's fault uh, in the end that they're, they're the ones coming up with the the strategy um, and and the salespeople are executing that but but oftentimes there is no strategy <laughs> and and uh, you just you're just hoping that you find salespeople that somehow will will do some magic tricks and and sell whatever you've produced uh, and and that's just not a good leadership. Uh, strategy. So I, I agree. It's it's uh, and and also the, I, I guess that's a good thing because I think if we could help managers, sales man, frontline sales managers, I think there's a huge leverage there. Uh, they're they're under uh, they they have too little resources. They're getting too little attention. They're bogged down with too much crap to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, and and they're not being given the right type of training and and and. Uh, and they're being um, screamed at a lot, and, and it's just not a fair, fair game for sales managers, which is also the fault of the the, the leaders, the higher ups, of course. Sure. Well, I mean, you you make the statement later in the book, you, and it wasn't about this issue per se, but I mean, obviously, it is this issue. As you say, quote, at the root of this problem is the fact that sales as a profession hasn't been taking very hasn't been taken very seriously. For most of its history, and and I would have added to that by management. You know, mm-hmm. sales is not taken seriously by. I mean, the fact of selling is taken seriously. We need revenue, 
But sellers themselves and what they need and what sales managers need has not been taken seriously. Yeah, I think that's, of course, a generalization, but but uh, that's what I'm seeing. And especially in, in companies led by engineers or finance people who haven't been selling themselves and haven't really been studying the field of sales. So that's why they're making all these assumptions, right? Uh, so... And, and I see a lot of toxic cultures in, in companies that are sort of product-led or engineer-led, and there's such a huge gap between those beliefs and, and what happens on the sales floor. So th- there's a lot of friction going on there. Yeah, well, I, but I think the issue in terms of trying to, yeah, we talk about enabling sellers, right? And so let's use that as sort of the, the catchphrase for improving performance of is for me as i you know experience of decades doing this and and uh, sales management and leading sales teams as well as uh, doing this podcast and talking to hundreds upon hundreds of, of sales leaders is that is that the problem for me is that management plays to the lowest common denominator right as i start to say yeah we're going to hire a team and i know that 80% of them yeah, probably aren't going to be good enough. And and I accept that as just the fact. Mm-hmm. And so everything's sort of organized around that sort of organizing principle that, yeah, half of my team or more just doesn't be very good. And I'm going to take steps that just sort of reinforce that because I'll give the good leads to the people I think are better. I'll give more resources to the people I think are better. And we just see this repeated time and time again and managers don't really seem aren't equipped for the most part to say, well, how do I make somebody better? How do I manage somebody to an improved performance? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think it's I, I spoke to a uh, a founder of a, of a tech company, and they were selling a tool with AI, and it was looking into to the CRM and, and trying to find out if the deals in there in the pipeline were were for real or if the, there was a lot of just fluff in there, and, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> the the interesting part of that story was that they they f- they finally had to to put the company down, so they 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 did not succeed. Mm-hmm. But looking back at it, and the reflections made were we were selling to sales uh, directors, mm-hmm. and uh, they loved the idea, but when they saw the 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 product in action, every beca- everything became very transparent. Uh, for them, but also for the leadership, right? So it became pretty apparent that they weren't really doing their job very well. <laughs> <laughs> the emperor had no clothes. Then they didn't want to buy it, right? So, and, and that's also very interesting. So, the it it just becomes a very bad series of events if if the leaders don't trust the. the or just assume that the sales director will will know what to do, and the sales director is not does not have the resources, or maybe creates the right plan, and the managers are not equipped correctly, or not hired correctly, or not promoted correctly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And everyone tries to hide that they're doing something wrong. <laughs> that's a very bad bad culture that that gets created. I'm not saying that's the case everywhere, but predominantly, that, that, it's it's quite often that's the case and that's very sad i mean we should should all be uh, looking at at like the toyota way like what how do we how do we improve everything how do we ask five whys 
to come up with the, the root of the problem and mm. fix that and improve continuously. Because nothing is, I mean, nothing is, there's no right answer that, that solves everything. It's, it's iteration, it's being agile, l- listening to customers. And I, I work a lot with sales process design. I mean, that's what, what the product then puts into and brings into life. And, and I, I see that a lot as well, that people want to create this perfect process. We're going to create this process. It's going to be fantastic. And they just over-engineer it to death. Uh, and just miss things like we can't have one process. I mean, it's, it's very different selling a high, vol, high tra- highly transactional product to the mm-hmm. SMB than tra- trying to sell a, a very uh, enterprise right. software, complex software. And, and those are two different things and need two different processes and maybe multiple processes within each of those segments because we have yeah, different regions and cultures, et cetera. So there's so much complexity in selling which I think also is why a lot of people just give up and say, well, you know, it's either you find the right people and it works or you don't. And you just have to keep looking for those top performers. Well, and that's, that's a point you're making in the book, so a central point, which is part of the reason there's this management inattention to development of individuals is that, yeah, they spend their time thinking, I need to hire enough people that are a set to go as opposed to I'm hiring potential. Yeah. And so they're looking for the people you said are salespeople that are born, not made, as one of the limiting beliefs you see organizations have. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's essentially right, is people just playing the odds. And then you have buyers. I mean, buyers are not, and that's another assumption I talk about in the book, that we we sort of think that buyers are irrational. And if we just prove them an ROI and, and, and demo our, our solution, they'll just say hallelujah and buy it. I mean, it's, it's much more complex than that. Uh, so we need to wrap our head around that as well. And there are more stakeholders. Everyone is saying these things, but actually doing the right things to embrace right. the complexity is, is, is different from just uh, yeah, understanding that that is complex. Right. So I think that before we move on to the next topic, just to finish on this one, because again, the focus has to be is how do we enable people to achieve? How do we enable people to perform at higher levels? And and I think you're talking about in your book, and I certainly agree, is that the limiting factor is is really management. And and I think one of the issues that, that we have to confront as a profession, if we really want to enable our sellers to achieve, is that we sort of need to blow up the way we manage sales right now. I mean, you look at, and I've you know, <laughs> gotten in my soapbox many times about this on this program, but, <laughs> but if you look at how professional sports teams have completely changed, how they manage performance, these are performance, you know, performance organizations, right? The whole goal is, just like sales, how do we get top professionals to perform to the top of their potential? Is they don't presume, yeah, you know, they don't have a coaching staff of one like we oftentimes have in, in sales, right? You might have a, a CRO, a VP, and then you know, a couple, depending on how big your organization is, you might have you know a director, maybe a manager. But you know, you get into sports, they've got these people that are specialists in performance improvement. You know, they've got data analysts. They've got, well, you know, I've given this example on the show before. Is you know, Liverpool was my my soccer team and. I think they have three coaches in there, just on their first team squad, with the word performance in their title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so we've become very specialized 
in those professions, much like we've done in the sales, yeah, now we've, we've got specialized sales roles, SDR, BDRs, AEs, account managers, you know, so on. But we fundamentally are managing sales the same way we did 120 years ago. We expect that, that, that CRO, we expect that sales leader to know all of this, to be an expert on performance and, and mindset and motivation and all these things that the world has said, well, no, you really got to hire specialists who are good at that. Yeah, and, and you mentioned uh, data analysts. Uh, that's an interesting topic as well, because that's something I see a lot of sales managers and sales directors not being very good at. Uh, but it's a very important piece uh, of, of being able to manage and, and know who to coach about what and when is to really know the numbers and, and understand how to read what is going on mm-hmm. through the numbers. And, and that's that's a skill that I think a lot of sales leaders are lacking and not just a skill, maybe not just the skill, but actually the, the raw data because the data in the systems are are inaccurate oftentimes because of different factors, system not being used, mm-hmm. the process just consisting of a few stages and no depth, no, no milestones. And there are a bunch of things that make this just the KPIs coming out of these uh, reports, the reporting systems are not, not really of any use um, to, to a coach. So you have to have, I mean, all that stuff needs to just be designed in a way that a coach can look at the numbers in a, in a structured format that, that allows that person to see who needs to be uh, helped with what and what. If, if, is it a people problem? Is it a skills problem? Is it a, is it a strategy problem? Is it a product problem, competition? I mean, you have to know that by looking from, uh, at the data. And, and I see that that's a challenge for a lot of, a lot of sales organizations. Yeah, well, I think it's a, a challenge in society at large these days is that we increasingly rely on data to mm-hmm. communicate something. And we see it on the internet. You know, the press you know, uses more graphics, fewer words. Um, yeah, I think we struggle with data literacy. Just because yeah. we have the data, to your point, doesn't mean we understand what it means. We don't, we don't know how to look at data and say, well, what's, what's missing? Where, where's the context here? Right? What what's a missing variable that's having an impact on what these results are telling me? Mm-hmm. And I think that again, this starts with with management. I'm not faulting them, but is we need to be training managers, leaders in how to look at data, how to understand data. And I don't hold myself out as an expert, but I'm reading as much as I can about it because this is a problem. And we see it, you know, online again, LinkedIn, where somebody will publish an article saying, you know, we've analyzed all these calls and this is what it means. And it doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean that at all. Oh yeah, no. no I hate it, those. it is just wrong and we're misleading people. You can't take a brute force approach to that and say, yeah, with this broad brush, because you know, anytime we see that, that type of, of, of stuff online, it's like, that's not the picture, right? Yeah. And yet people, because they're not accustomed to, to dealing with data yet is they don't question it. And and this is happens happens on a more micro level with managers and the data they're getting from all their tools. Yeah, and, and, and comparing data also, I think that a lot if you look at a number uh, you you want and it's in your space, you, you of course it's a natural thing to compare that with your your numbers. Uh, the problem in, in, in selling is that there is no standard. 
So if someone says we have a win rate of X, you can't really know what that means mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, unless you actually ask them, okay, how do you measure win rates? Where, where is it from the start of an opportunity until the the, the time you, you win it or lose it? Or right. does it start when you make first contact? I mean, early prospecting. And people have these all mixed up, even within organizations. Yes, so, absolutely. So, that makes it really, really hard also to to start comparing, and especially those kind of you know marketing stats that that are thrown around. Like if you ask the customer X within the first three point three minutes and twelve seconds, you'll get Y. It's like, <laughs> come on, it's, it's, that's what I mean with selling uh, peddling snake oil. That that's just that's just annoying to me. Oh yeah, no, I, I <laughs> I'm the first one to get annoyed at that. Um, yeah, because again, we're doing a disservice to to people that want easy answers, and we're yeah. not in a business where there's really a lot of easy answers to be had. Not if you're in a complex B two B sale. I mean, the, sure, if you're in if you're in Amazon and you're in e, e commerce, I'm I'm sure you can go really really deep on on algorithms and and uh, and everything they're doing <laughs> to 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 transactionalize sales and and squeeze out more more numbers by changing prices like a, with a tenth of a dollar or whatever it may be but in a complex b2b sales multiple months of sales cycles multiple people involved i mean that that just goes away i mean it's a whole different ball game yeah well moving on i mean another thing you, you'd write about is which is always sort of one of my topics i enjoy talking about is you know the damage done by managers for creating what you called a needlessly stressful work environment. So tell us what you meant about that. Yeah, there are many, many aspects of that. But I think there is this uh, belief that if we just do more, we'll, we'll improve performance. Um, so I see a lot of focus on do more, send more emails, do more phone calls, and we'll all close better or get more people to the proof of concept and we'll sell more. And uh, the problem with, with that kind of activity-led, efficiency-focused uh, approach is that unless you're doing the right things, it doesn't help that you just do more of it. <laughs> well, I mean, at some point, it, at some point, it sort of does. I mean, you you you're just turning sales into a game of chance at that point. Yeah, which, yeah, which is what a lot of companies have done these days. It's just, I know if I put enough crap into the top of the funnel, enough nuggets will fall out the bottom. And I think also what's important to say in that uh, on that topic is if you're a startup from I mean you're in in this from Silicon Valley you have ten million dollars in the bank uh, you can sell the product to anyone who's alive any company I mean maybe it makes sense for you to spray and pray like crazy for the first three years mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if you upset a few people along the way so maybe that's an okay tactic although I did kind of dislike it anyway but that's that that can get you to the next level whereas if you're a, a manufacturing company and you have 432 potential clients worldwide that would be an awful tactic to take <laughs> and i'm i'm familiar with that i mean i i spent a good chunk of time selling in the satellite industry where for my product i had roughly 200 customers worldwide potential yeah you know, my total addressable yeah. market yeah and you don't want to mess those relationships up by spamming people so, yeah, I think you have to know what's right for the type of selling environment you're in and not listen to the advice of, of 
companies and, and, and leaders and, and product pushers uh, that are active in a completely different type of sales environment. But I think this this idea of the what you call the needlessly stressful work environment is is again is is caused by managers um, yeah. who make this assumption that people basically know how to perform, mm-hmm. and and that's also fear based as well, right? Because oftentimes the managers are dealing with their own sets of insecurities because they haven't been trained. Right. So no. to your point earlier, is all they know is perhaps, well, let's do more of something. But they they don't necessarily have the resources to say, well, how do we do this before I like to say before you can do more, you gotta learn how to do better. And then once you learn how to do better, you can do more better. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, I absolutely agree. And I think the the formula that I've learned for productivity is effectiveness times efficiency. Um, so if you're being effective and you're doing all the right things, then of course, you'll improve performance if you also increase efficiency. Mm-hmm. But if you're multiplying by zero or 0.1, you, you can run very fast without actually getting anywhere because you're running in circles. Yeah. Yeah. But stressful environment, I think, also is um, managers. We were talking about those. I think managers are, are often in a very stressful position because they're pulled Absolutely. in different directions and they're asked to do different reports. And they're not, they're not, there's no real understanding about what they their work should be about <laughs> uh, from manage their managers, and maybe sometimes not even it's not they might not even know themselves what they ought to be doing because they haven't been managers in the past and they were they were promoted because they were a good salesperson. I'm I'm sure you've talked about this many mm. times on the, sure. on the show. So the they they um, become kind of reactive. Uh, but they're being directed by people who don't know what, what they really should be doing and spending their time on. So it's a very, yeah, it's it's a hard and tough job to be a manager. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's thankless in many environments. Um, so how do we how do we turn that right? Because yeah, to turn anything around to make any sort of substantial changes or substantive changes. There's going to be some pain involved, and companies have to be willing to accept some pain to change how we manage sales. Yeah, and I think people don't don't change unless they have to. Unfortunately, most of the times, so people come to a point in time where where their margins are eroding and and uh, their competitors are eating their lunch. That's when it becomes a burning platform, and they have to do something. Unfortunately, that's what we're seeing. Well, but we, we've. We're, if you look at the industry reports, we're sort of in this downward trend, if not spiral, in terms of sales performance, you know, mm-hmm. CSO Insights reports, other reports out there. So, I mean, it's not that it's necessarily rigorous studies, but, you know, data points saying, yeah, we've, we've, we're in this golden age where we've got all this great sales technology to, to invest in and apply to the process, and yet our performance is sinking. So it, to me, it seems like there is a sense of urgency about it. Uh, yeah, but but I don't know if it is because, as you mentioned previously, uh, they've sort of they've just sort of accepted the fact that okay, eighty percent of my salespeople will not perform. I got, have to go recruit the twenty percent that that can perform, and uh, I'll, I'll just have this constant churn and rotation of people, and some somehow that's become the norm. So I just. Unfortunately, I see a lot of 
leaders out there who, who are not striving for excellence. They've sort of gotten into this mode that this is the way it is. So I guess they need just to be awaken <laughs> and usually they are by by competitors who get it and start running very fast and they're being outcompeted and that's when they sort of wake up to oh crap there's a better way to do it what what are we going to do who can we imitate <laughs> being a bit harsh but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. i think that's how human beings usually work we we don't i mean we we love the status quo uh we hate change for the most part and uh, we just change when we really have to and this whole situation we're in now is is telling uh, I mean, Corona and COVID nineteen is is it's a really scary scary virus, and and we we see some causes that increase our uh, sort of risk factors to it, and we we should be doing us some some stuff to to reduce that, we, but we still don't. So even in the face of death, we we sometimes just prefer <laughs> the status quo. So people have a very hard time changing. That's that's uh, that's just the way it is, unfortunately. But but those who want, those who have ambition, I mean, those are the front runners, uh, and and they, I think, from my perspective, selling just has to become more of a profession. Um, we have to realize that. Selling is, it's a super interesting profession. Uh, We're working with people, uh, we're we're helping. um, We're not just trying to, I mean, we have to get away from this perception that selling is something that we do onto people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That we try to just sell stuff to make money. Uh, I mean, that's not what, what professional selling is all is about. So there's a perception thing that, that, that we need to work on. Um, but then just structure sales we, and stop just chasing these shortcuts for everything. Uh, I think we have to look at it as building a house. You have to sort of, you, you can't start by building the roof. You have to build the foundation and the walls and then you can, can build the roof. But a lot of people just try to take shortcuts and say, oh, if we just buy this latest, coolest tool or we send the salespeople to this, this new, really hot methodology that came out. Mm. That's going to solve everything. So no, it's not going to solve everything. Just do you have a strategy? Do you have a process? Do you have the right skills? Are you coaching? Are you coaching even more and more and more? <laughs> do you understand the data? Do you know the data? Do you know your KPIs? I mean, all these basic things, it should seem like, are not in place. Yeah. Well, I think, again, it gets sort of back to what we were talking about earlier is is – there's all this focus in this profession on how do we enable sellers to perform. And the biggest obstacle to it is sitting right there in plain view. And I contend management that hasn't, the way we manage sales has not fundamentally changed in, I said, a century. And until we're willing to tackle that, until we're willing to take it seriously enough, to your point in your book, that, that leaders just don't take sales seriously enough. I mean, again, they take they, need, they take revenue seriously, but you know we've structured sales in such a way that, by and large, in most companies, it's just like, yeah, this is sort of a necessary evil. We'll do it, and we're going to feed it just enough to sort of get what we want out of it. But we're just sort of muddling along from year to year to year. And, I, and the good thing about that is, I think there there are some some simple mistakes that keep on being made in in selling that we could fix easily. Okay, give us an example. Yeah, so in, in, in my previous company, uh, 
the the main problem was that we did not engage all the right stakeholders. And I would argue that is the number one problem in in a complex sale. We we just if we if we primarily talk to a few stakeholders that engage with us, I mean reactively. I mean we look at all the inbound and and, and that mm-hmm. whole spiel, uh, and and we don't find out how they will have to make a decision, how we how their organization works, etc. Uh, etc. Et we just try to push the product in there, it's, it's not going to work. So just by identifying who need to be involved to make a decision about this, why would they even buy something at all? And how does that compare to all the other stuff? Because that's another problem, I think, that we make in selling. We're so concerned about the competitors uh, to our product. But usually we don't lose because they buy another product but it's because they prioritize another project, mm-hmm. uh, or they, right? they de- or yeah, or they deprioritize the project that you could be helping them with. But I think a lot of times we we sort of don't take we don't look at status quo as as the main competitor, whereas it might actually be. Instead, we look at the comp- competition to our product as 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 the main competitor, which it might not be. So just. Going back to the simple product, I'm making this complex now, <laughs> but knowing who needs to be involved <laughs> is, is uh, if we can nail that, if we could just focus on that for a year, I'm certain that's going to really move the needle for most sales teams. Well, I think it's, I'd put a fine tune on that, which is identify the stakeholders who are going to do what, right? I, mean, I don't think... This is, I think, a point where we miss increasingly in sales is that, and you talked about because we're there, sellers going and push the product. Well, they're pushing the product when the customer hasn't really decided, A, what their problem is, mm-hmm. and B, how they want to solve it. Exactly. So they haven't defined the solution. So as sellers, you should be focused on identifying the stakeholders who are responsible for defining how they're going to solve, ultimately, how they're going to solve the problem. Right, exactly. Focus your effort there because that's a process all decision makers have to go through, right? They have to identify the problem, come up with solutions they can choose from, options they can choose from, and choose one of the options that they want to proceed with. Who they who they choose as a vendor to help them implement that option. That's the last thing that happens. Yet that exactly. seems to be where most people are focused on a sales standpoint. And we've got to I said to your point earlier about that's when you do that, when you focus on that end point, that's selling to someone as opposed to working collaboratively with them to help them solve the problem. Yeah. You phrased that much better than I did, but I am in complete <laughs> agreement with you on that. <laughs> yeah, because they're making a they're they're gonna make a decision about improving something. Uh and, and if you're gonna be in, involved or or not, that's gonna be a result of if if they define the problem <laughs> or how they define the problem uh, in the first well, yeah. place. Well, I mean, you, and you touch on this a little bit in in the book when you talk about checklists. And you, I love the fact you embrace Atul Gawande and the checklist manifesto. I I think every salesperson, every sales manager, every sales leader should be reading that book if they haven't already. Um, but one of the things that's sort of interesting though is, is I I love the idea of checklists. But I think we also have to caution against 
becoming too prescriptive in our sales process to this point because we want to we've got these you know sort of, I think consider inflexible sales processes that many companies put together and they don't align with the buying experience of the buyer and how they're going mm-hmm. through their process and I think that becomes one of our big challenges and sort of this discussion we just had about helping define what their solution should be and who those stakeholders are who are involved in that that's not a linear process at all you know, that's no. not a stage-based process. That requires a lot of flexibility. Um, and so how do we reconcile that? You know, having a process with a customer that really has no process. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, it's, it's true. And, and I think it's, um, it's difficult to, from now I'm, I'm, I'm in my head, I'm, the technology is spinning, right? I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the screens. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's hard to have a non-linear uh, workflow, but I think the way we've seen customers approach it is is looking at more of a milestone approach, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that a milestone that you complete can also be uncompleted. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you have to go back exactly uh, because exactly. You, you didn't have all the stakeholders to to really get to that point. You had one person that made it got to that point, or maybe you maybe you had them all, but somebody said, "Well, hey, we didn't think about this." Yeah, <laughs> right. And then it's like, oh shit, we gotta go think about that. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> we can do this our, on our own. Yeah, so of course, yeah, I agree. So, so you have to design the process with, of course, with the buyer in mind, and and that's not super simple either because all buyers are not the same. Um, but I think we have to sort of find the common denominators on on a milestone basis, and there are different approaches. I mean, Gartner is talking about their works to be done and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some methodologies around that. So you can define that. Have we have we helped them do this part of their decision-making journey? Right. Yes. Or what steps do we need to take there? And we're now we're building some some cool stuff where where we we're actually dynamically changing the process based on strengths and weaknesses of each individual salesperson. No, I like because. That. Yeah, because a, a very senior, experienced person who knows the customers inside out, the industry and the products, he might not need the same kind of enablement uh, that a that, that new person that we're just onboarding uh, would need. So I also like the way that we can we need to make these processes much more dynamic and agile and, 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 and change based on who you are as a salesperson, but also who's the customer, what's the industry. All these things need to come together uh, in a nice way. Yeah. All very interesting. Well, George, we're sort of run out of time here, but um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, so uh, tell folks how they can find out more about uh, Membrane and your book. Yeah, so I'm active on LinkedIn, so find me there, George Bronton, and uh, connect with me. And uh, membrane.com if you want to learn more about that. And the book has a cool URL. It's stop.killing.deals. <laughs> Very emphatic. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Andy. Thanks a lot. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this program. I also want to thank George Brontane for sharing his story with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this show. And if you could also leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, we'd appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thank you for your help. 
And thank you so much for investing your time to join me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.